Okay. <clears throat> the question you asked is, what about cutting of the hand for stealing? As an example. As an example. So now, let's look at it from the... I'm glad you asked the question because it helps to illustrate some very important aspects of Islamic law. Now, any law, if you want to answer the question, you have to study the law. So let me try to give you a brief thumbnail picture of it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about the laws, about the hudud, which are the punishments for various crimes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Fil qisasi hayatun ya uril albab. Allah said, in the punishments, in the in the khisas, there is life for you, O people of understanding. Now you might say, well, you know, punishment for murder is execution, and you are saying there is life in it. How can there be life in something where you are executing somebody? Uh, punishment for adultery between two married people is not just execution and death but stoning to death now what can be more horrific and more barbaric and more uh, you know regressive and whatever you want to call it than stoning somebody to death punishment for stealing is you cut off the hand of the person what kind of uh, barbarism is this I mean these are general questions which are asked so that's why I'm saying we one has to understand the law in its totality. First, first thing to understand about Islamic law is that the law is decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is Rahman or Rahim. He is the most merciful and his mercy does not decrease, it continues. So we have to understand this that here is somebody who is the most merciful. And then you say, well, I'm, I'm in a way adding to your confusion because that's how you will clear, you will clear it. Saying, if, the, if Allah is most merciful, how does He allow somebody to be stoned to death? If Allah is most merciful, how does He allow someone's hand to be chopped? Right? So, how is He most merciful? And that's the, that is the understanding. That's where we have to understand. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, first of all, the law is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, there are, of course, if you take Islamic law, there are two aspects to the law. There is what is the Quranic law, which is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, sent down. And there is the juristic law which again is permission given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to evolve principles and so on and so forth based on need. So, jurists uh, who are people who are uh, skilled in law and who, have, who are learned in law, uh, they can get together and they can by a process of deduction or whichever way, they can evolve rulings on certain things which are not given in the Quran and the Sunnah. So, both are part of Islamic law but the uh, level of um, uh, sanctity of these two obviously differs. What is decreed by the Quran is, is decreed by the Quran. There is no change in that. Nobody can, can, can alter it. But juristic law is open to also interpretation, also open to changing. So when we look at the Sharia of Islam, uh, the entire Sharia is not uh, directly the result of revelation. Now this does not mean that I am saying it is not important. No, it is not. It is important. But just to understand the uh, the, the root of it. So, part of the Sharia is direct revelation, part of the Sharia is interpretation and uh, understanding and so on, which we call juristic law. And this is the sign of the dynamism of Islamic law. Islamic law is not something which came uh, 14 centuries ago and has stuck like that, like uh, written in stone and nothing can be changed. That's not true at all. That's Islamic law. Show me the book of Sharia. Yeah, exactly, exactly. No, there is, there is of course the book oh, of Sharia. Yeah, but like, yeah. yeah there, there, there is not just one book. There are plenty of books yeah. of Sharia. So the problem with people, people ask these questions as if they are experts. They don't know. Tell them go study. Before you ask questions, go study. So anyway, so there is this tour. Now take the 
we come to this issue of cutting the hands off. Now, Islamic law is the only law in the world where there is a legal place and legal sanctity for forgiveness. In any other law, for example, if you in, in, in Indian law, for example, uh, if somebody murders another, if one person murders another person, right? Case is, uh, is investigated, there is evidence, the case comes before the judge, the judge will sentence, will pass a sentence depending on the IPC and CRPC, which is the Indian Penal Code and the Criminal Penal Code, and he has to pass sentence according to that. Now, at that point in time, if the son of the person who's, who was killed comes to the judge and says, please, I want to forgive this person. I don't want this person to face a sentence. Judge can't do anything. There is no place for forgiveness in the law. You understand what I'm saying? A thief stole something from me. Right? And he ran away. Now, he got caught. Evidence is there. Uh, now, I feel sorry for the guy. I say, no, I, I want to forgive this guy. You can't forgive the guy. There is a sentence which has to be passed. But Islam gives, has this, because uh, this is the sign of the fact that the law comes from Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the most forgiving and most merciful. Therefore, there is a place for forgiveness in Islamic law. So, for example, in some, something as uh, serious or heinous as a murder, there are several options. One is, of course, the straight option, which is to say that the person is convicted and the person is sentenced in, in Islam. It's a life for a life. Therefore, the person will be sentenced to be executed. But that person, the uh, family of the person who was killed, can forgive the person by taking money, which is called blood money. So they say they can say, okay, you know, he will not be executed. Uh, we, are, we are willing to accept blood money. So that amount of money is given to them, which is a fixed amount, and the, the man is freed. So maybe it was a case where there was no pre, it was not a premeditated murder, it was, you know, some other kind of thing or whatever. Even if it was a premeditated murder, person is now sorry, what not. So there is a scope for it. There is also scope for a person being completely forgiven totally without even any blood money by the dependents of the, of the person who was killed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually gave precedence to that and He said, this is better for you if you understood. So now you are actually promoting forgiveness even among the people. Number one. Number two, there is no concept in Islamic law of imprisonment. Now think about what happens. This is one of the major flaws in all other laws. I do something wrong. Right? So now the court takes me and puts me 15 years imprisonment, 20 years imprisonment. Now, we, for us, it looks like this is fair. How is it fair? First of all, who is paying for that guy to be in prison? You are paying as a taxpayer. So now you have taken a criminal and you have made him into a guest of the state for which you are paying as a taxpayer. So now all taxpayers in the country are burdened with the expense of this prisoner. And we are not talking about one, we are talking about millions. Second thing is, I committed the crime. My wife didn't commit the crime, my children did not commit the crime, my parents did not commit the crime. But the moment I am sentenced and put in prison, my wife and children have lost the means of livelihood. So they are on the street. Parents, everyone else is, uh, you know, is affected by, by my crime. Everyone looks at them and they say, oh, look at this father of a criminal, mother of a criminal, all kinds. So now with this one imprisonment, you are punishing an entire family who have done nothing wrong. 
they probably did not even know that this person was engaged in whatever they were doing. It is happening now today, people get convicted of on terrorism crimes and so on and so forth. Parents are the last ones to come to know that the son or daughter was, was involved in this thing. Every, so effectively now, everyone, in Islam there is no punishment. The Islam, the punishment is for the individual. Then the person comes back into society, is a changed person. So rehabilitation and so on is not an issue. There are no prisons, the state does not have a huge burden of prisons and so on and so forth. So this is murder. Second thing, uh, theft. In Islam, there is no punishment at all. For somebody who steals out of need. Right? To the contrary, that if a person steals out of need and is convicted of stealing, the state is punished and the state is responsible. Because the, the law says, how is it you are running a country where somebody has to steal bread because he is starving? So this is the fault and this is a, 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 a crime by definition which the ruler has committed. That you are running a country in such a way that people are, are uh, they have to steal in order to live. So therefore, the ruler is responsible. So not only is the person not punished, but the state is responsible for this state of affairs. Then, who therefore gets, actually hand gets chopped? Once again, somebody who is a habitual uh, thief, so professional thief, who is, you know, breaking into houses and this and that and the other and committing crimes, maybe some violence also involved with that. All of this, if it is completely proved, then the person becomes liable for amputation of one hand. Now, even in that, even in that state, the people affected have a right to forgive him. In which case, he is off free. He is not, but nothing happens to him. You stole from me, so you work for me until you pay it back. Or Even that can be done. So there's leeway for all. There is leeway. Yeah, there is lot of leeway for all kinds of alternatives. Pay me back, work for me until you until you judge pay it back. Judge. judge by the judge. So judge will judge has the right freedom to do all of this. Okay. In the absence of all of that, the person's hand is cut. Even there, see the mercy of that. Instead of locking him up in a prison where he now, what actually happens in a prison? People get criminalized. Because in the prison, they are cohabiting with other prisoners and other, other criminals. So, they actually become criminal. Uh, prisons create criminals. I mean, this is a known fact globally. This does not happen. He is back in society. His hand is chopped. So, he is now, people also know, know who he is and it is a salutary effect on him. But he is back in society. He is now earning and working and so on and so forth. There is a chance for him to reform his, himself instead of being stuck in a prison. The prison system is, of course, a failed system. Uh, essentially, it's the result of societies not knowing what to do with convicted criminals. Um, if a person is convicted, or even in the case in India, this is a big thing that uh, prisoners are called people in judicial custody, which means that this person has committed a crime, or apparently, allegedly committed a crime. Um, the crime has not been proved. He hasn't come before the court yet, but the police don't want to uh, lose him, so they just lock him up. Now, there's a recent case in the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court um, expressed great astonishment uh, that a person has been in prison for seven years for stealing saris from a store, and in this entire seven years period, the person has not yet come before a judge. So the Supreme Court says, well, He's already served seven years imprisonment without even being convicted or sentenced. So how did that happen? Well, it happened because there is no other solution. Uh, we just have the prisons, we lock them up and we sometimes just forget about them. And if they are, especially if they are poor people and nobody to 
you know, root for them, uh, check for them and so on. This is what happens. Second thing is that there are, in India, there are uh, millions of people who are in prison uh, who are eligible for bail, but they can't get bail because there is no one to pay that bail money. They're poor people. So now you've got a bunch of people sitting in prison. Uh, if they had the money, they would have got bail and they would have got out, but they can't get out because there is no money. So this is the second issue. This is what prisons do. So prisons basically criminalize people. The guy commits the first time uh, criminal, if uh, for want of a better word. Uh, the first time he commits a crime, uh, he's committed a crime, maybe he's very afraid, he's uh, very sorry for what, he, what has happened. Uh, he really, you know, he, he's uh, in a mess. He is... Uh, it's possible to rehabilitate him, uh, to correct him, but he is put into a prison and his companions there are seasoned criminals, people who have been in prison for, uh, in some cases, many times and in some cases, many years. So what does he learn from them? Definitely not how to be a law-abiding citizen. So this is what prisons do. Um, the, in Islam, therefore, uh, the Islamic law uh, does not have this concept of prisons. So by putting somebody in the prison, uh, you are not adding injustice to injustice. Um, and instead of that, you sentence them to something. And then as I am uh, explaining, uh, there's a huge scope for forgiveness in the whole thing, which is the backdrop of all these laws. Come to adultery. Very heinous, very uh, barbaric punishment. Yes, I agree, absolutely. Nothing, nothing dies about stoning somebody. But what is the required evidence for adultery? Four witnesses. Four witnesses of what? Four witnesses of what is it? Uh, what are they supposed to be bear witness about? Seen them, and that doesn't happen, obviously. Seen them what? Commit the uh, adultery. Meaning what? They must, they must have seen them. If you see me, if four people see me, Right? With a woman who is not my wife, hugging her lying in bed, does that constitute evidence for adultery for stoning to death? No, because you don't know what happened. Aha, exactly. No, because you don't know what happened. Four independent witnesses of the actual act of copulation. Okay. Which is uh, ideologically not going to happen. Exactly. Which is something which is practically impossible. Sure. The only way that will happen is if you were doing it in a public place in a park. Or in a, in a movie where it... Well, that's a different... Porn movie is a different issue, right? Porn movie. Otherwise, no other way is it possible to actually have four independent witnesses witnessing the actual act of copulation. There is a very famous case where a, a very famous uh, person uh, was actually seen with a woman... Somebody saw them through an open window, but the case was thrown out of court because they said, did you actually see the penetration happening? He said, no. He said, no case. Not only no case, in Islam, if you accuse somebody of that, yeah, if you accuse a person of adultery and that case cannot be proved, <laughs> then you are liable for 80 lashes and you are then branded a liar and your witness is not accepted in court for the rest of your life. So this is where there is a counter punishment on the person making the accusation. There is no parallel of for this in any law, in any country, in any time. So yes, people are being stoned, but it, the only way it comes to that is in a public. Now, you might say, well, okay, so what is so bad about 
people, you know, having sex in the in in public in a park happens. Go to every Mardi Gras, it happens. Go to any any music festival, it happens in the West. Point is that Islam's view on morality is that if these kind of things are done in public, then they corrupt all of society, and therefore there is a salutary punishment for that. Now, what about a person or what about people who have committed adultery and they repent? Nothing. Make tauba and you are home and dry. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala will forgive. Obviously, I am not promoting that. You know, one should go and do that. But I am saying, if that happens, and there are cases of this, a man came to Sayyid Umar bin Khattab and he said, "I have committed adultery." Sayyid Umar whacked him and said, "Get out of here." Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala hid something from the world. Why are you telling the world? Go make tawbah to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. That's it. He didn't sentence. He sentenced him to uh, stoning or death or anything. Nothing. He did nothing. He said, "Just go." Allah has hidden it. Nobody knows. You have. No need to go talk about it. Just make tawbah. Don't do it again. Finished. Matter is over. So in Islam, that's the reason why Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala said, "Ofil khisasi hayatun ya uli darbab." In the khisas, there is life for you because in the punishments, the punishments are salutary. The punishments are, uh, you know, they they they, they prevent uh, people from aspiring to do those things. That's the whole point of the Islamic punishment. That people who are an aspiring criminal will think twice. My God, if I get caught with this thing, I'm going to have some you know serious problem. So let me not do that. That is the whole point. It's a deterrent more than anything else. Is a deterrent. Yes, there is a punishment. Yes, if all of those boxes get ticked, you will actually get into a situation where you uh, will be liable to be stoned to death, or you're liable to have your hand amputated, or liable to be hanged, or whatever. But then that is a risk that the criminal is taking. The final point of it is Islam takes a view that the victim of the crime is more entitled to mercy and more entitled to justice than the perpetrator of the crime who decided to commit the crime in the first place. Now, in in our uh, modern uh, law, the, this is a completely upside down on its head. People are saying, no, no, murderers must not be uh, must not be hanged. What about the guy who who died? I mean, the the, the murderer is alive and well. And you are rooting for him, saying you know, remove uh, uh, capital punishment. It is uh, it, it is inhuman, blah blah. How come murder is not inhuman? So the guy who went and did the murder, that guy to mono mara gaya na. The guy died completely. Now what are you going to bring him back to life? You can't do anything to him. Now when you say this one is a salutary punishment, it's a deterrent. If you if the person gets hanged, then other people will think twice before murdering. You want to have a problem with that? In South Africa, the classic case, because in South Africa, as, as soon as the new government came uh, in uh, 1995, when Mandela said, they abolished capital punishment. Right? Today, the South Africans they are begging to bring back capital punishment. Is there is so much crime. There is so much, crime. and the reason is people are saying they don't care. I mean, I go chop anyone I want. I know there is no capital punishment. What are you going to do? Put me in prison? No problem. I go and relax in prison for a few years. I'm out again. So they say there's no. So they say bring it back. Now the whole point is you chuck you chuck something out uh, without thinking about it. Now you are saying bring it back. Bringing it back is not easy. Bringing it back is not easy. So Islam's uh, Islam's law comes from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala knows what is right and wrong. Islam therefore gives a lot of importance to the victims of crime because they deserve that. They deserve the victims of crime. They deserve our sympathy. They deserve they deserve mercy. They deserve uh, you know all of this. So Islam gives a lot of focus to that. Islam tries to address the criminal in as humane a way as possible, keeping in mind that he committed the crime. Therefore, he is responsible for the consequences of the crime. Nobody forced you to murder someone. You decide to do it. Well, boss, there is a punishment involved. There is some music attached to that. Listen to the music also. You can't say, well, you know, I did it and I'm I'm free. You're not free. 
No one told you. Why did you do that? No one told you to steal. No one told you to commit adultery. Why did you do that? So if you did that, then there's some music to face. However, having said that, there is a lot of scope for alternate ways. There's a lot of scope for mercy. There's a lot of scope for forgiveness. There's a lot of scope for repenting. All of which is not there in our standard law. So Alhamdulillah, this is why these punishments are which are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we definitely, we support them, but we also support the whole, to, we also support the fact that one must look at it in the context of the whole Islamic social and cultural environment, which is what we should try to bring into the picture. That is the story.